anything special at all in any way. But because God can speak through anything, and He has spoken through donkeys through the Bible. So we come to meet, what is God trying to say? So, as I was thinking about Easter this week, I had two thoughts. Two thoughts, and, and we're going to talk about that this morning. It all came out of just kind of this one broad idea. So Jesus conquers the grave. He conquers death. Conquers it. Wipes it right off the map. He succumbs to it. Right? He dies, and then he rises again. So he conquers sin. He conquers death. So then I was thinking, I had the Lord kind of ministering to my mind, and I was looking, I was like, well, if I was going to conquer anything, I don't think I would do it the way Jesus did it. Like, if you think about conquerors and conquering, you might get, like, names and images of people that um, have had great armies, and, like, they were able to take a massive assault on a particular area or a particular territory, so maybe we would think of guys like maybe Napoleon, you know, or guys like Hitler, or guys like, uh, you know, more recent, like Saddam Hussein. Like, these guys would conquer, you know, Assyrians, Babylonians. They'd come in and conquer territories and take them over. And the way they would do it, is they would do it by control, by force, by violence. That's how they conquered. Jesus conquers arguably the biggest thing of all time, the biggest army, the biggest enemy of all time. Death and sin. And he doesn't use control or force. He uses love. How does that work? And how does that even make sense? To conquer like the greatest enemy... The most. De- how do you conquer death? And so, how do you do that? I would get massive amounts of angels strapped up with everything needed, and man, we go in and we raid Satan's home and we take that thing over. Wouldn't you? Especially if you had it at your disposal. Let's take this thing by force. He's wrong. He's in the wrong. We're taking it over. That's not what Jesus did. He conquered in love. A radical love. So I wanted to talk about that this morning. Just a couple of things about His love and conquering. And how that relates to Easter Sunday. So are you with me? Okay. Let's do it. So John 10, verse 17. Let's check it out. The first part of His love. John 10, verse 17. We said page 760 in your Bible, right? Okay. So here we go. Verse 17. It says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So I'll read it one more time. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. 
This command I received from my Father. So I picked that particular verse because Jesus makes it evidently clear that He is in full control of this sacrifice He's about to pay. Of what He's about to do. I think that's significant because if Jesus was just commanded to do something and just did it without really having a choice, it's like how deep could His love really be? Like if you could force somebody to do something and they didn't want to do it on their own, how much do they really want to do it? Right, that's the struggle, right? I have now as far as parenting, and maybe for you parents that are out there, you can relate to this, right? When we're parenting and disciplining our kids, the ideal benchmark, the ideal thing we want to get our kids to do, particularly in discipline, let's say, we want our children to not just make right decisions. Just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. That's important. But wouldn't it be so much better if we could get our children to want to want to make the right decisions? So that you just don't do the right thing when important people are paying attention, but they just want to do the right thing because they want to do it because they see the value in it, where they take ownership for themselves. That's kind of similar to what we're talking about here as far as Jesus goes. The depth of His love, the depth of His love is in His freedom to not having to go through what He went through. He didn't have to. At any point in time, He could have said, no, no, I don't want to do it. It's too much. I don't need to. At any point, He could have quit. I think that's radical. And I think for our day and age, that's a huge message. Because it seems to me, and maybe it seems to you, that when you look around and you see when things get difficult, we live in kind of a society where let's be done with it, let's throw it away, let's get rid of it. But Jesus, right, in His love, He chose suffering and He embraced it when he didn't have to. This is like a totally different type of love. He willingly did it. I try to place, place my own self there, and we should, you know, try and place ourselves in the Bible when we read it. You know, if you could have got out of any of that at any point or minimized kind of the stuff that he went through, I think maybe it would have been tempting to maybe possibly take advantage of some of that. But his radical love is just unfathomable. Because he understood that God wanted him to do this. Right? He understood that his purpose was to come here and die for us. But I think as you know, even though God has particular commands and ideas that he wants us to do and particular plans he calls us to do, that doesn't necessarily mean we're in love with the idea of doing it. 
But Jesus was so in love with his Father and with his plan, he didn't care what it cost him. That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. So complete freedom to change the situation, to not go through it. It doesn't matter. He sees you. He sees me. And he says, I love them abundantly. And there's no other way they can be with me and my Father forever. So absolutely, I'm going through this. And he agonized with it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he agonized. It was a tough decision for him. It's not like it just came automatic. It was tough. But he chose to do it. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, hopefully it does for you, it encourages your heart to know that your Savior loves you that much. Not just on your good days, also on your worst days, and the days we're figuring it out. So, my follow-up to that was, okay, if love was the driving force, this, this love is conquering the grave and conquering sin, how does it win? How, how do you win unless you, do, you don't take something by control and by force? It seems to me, if you were, I think most people would think, a softy and you didn't push hard and press on and kind of take things with both hands, how can you really conquer anything? How does it work? It seems counterintuitive. Well, I felt like as I asked that question, God, how does your kind of love defeat sin and defeat death, the greatest enemies of all time? How could that work? I felt like God spoke to my heart and He said, you know what? It's because my love is not focused on self-preservation, recognition, comfort, or control. My love is not focused on self-preservation, recognition, comfort, or control. He wasn't focused on any of that stuff. He had really only one focus. What was God's will? What was God's plan? What did He have for me? I want to live in that. Am I focused on self-preserving myself and you know the image of the Messiah and you know who Jesus is? No, he did not care. He rode in Jerusalem on a donkey. Probably had one outfit. He didn't even know half the time where he was going to spend the night. Could care less about self-preservation. He was just mission-focused. What was the mission? What does my father have for me? He didn't really care much about recognition, if people recognized him or not. In fact, that's why he gave the Pharisees a difficult time. He said, boy, you guys just love being recognized in the marketplaces and when you go out to Walmart and wherever you go, you love to be recognized. Some, some people just thrive on that. Here's a big one for us. His love was not focused on comfort. I think that's a huge one for America and for the Western world because it's like, that's almost like the end-all be-all is just comfort. Because we are working hard, we're stressed, we're tired, I'm tired. So to get some comfort, take a vacation, come home and just like, you know, just get some comfort. That can easily become like the epitome, the goal, if I got comfort or not today. Instead of, well, like what did God have for me today? Did I walk into it? Did I even consider asking him? 
Did I flat out miss it? You know? This is the kind of love, right, that we're talking about. This is the love that conquers without taking things by force. And the last one here, control. This kind of love, Jesus' kind of love, He was trying to take control of the situation. He had a bogus trial. Everybody deserted Him. And honestly, from all aspects, if you were following and walking with Jesus, it probably seemed like on Friday, everything was a big fat failure. He's a failure. What kind of successful ministry is it where you invest into 12 of your closest guys for three years, they see amazing things and experience amazing things, and then when the rubber hits the road and things really matter, they all take off. I wouldn't want to read that leadership book. You couldn't even maintain your team. But Jesus had an understanding that he knew these things had to happen and take place because he knew God's word. He said, he knew, he quoted the word as he was going through. He said, as um, the shepherd of the flock is struck, all the sheep will scatter. He's like, he knows this stuff is going to happen. He knows they're going to abandon him and they're going to take off. So he's okay with it because his love is for whatever the Father has for him. That's the way he's going to conquer If he got caught up in how effective he was being as a leader, it might have messed him up. So hopefully, at this point, we're seeing, and hopefully I'm being somewhat effective in painting a picture of how much God loves us. And he had complete and full ability to get out of what he was into. But he specifically chose not to because he loves and you put your name in the blank. And it's not if you could have given him a certain amount of money. It's not if you could have served him for a certain amount of time. It's not if you could have gotten some amount of education. It's because he loved you and wanted you. That other thief on the cross on Friday said, man, just remember me in paradise. And he said, you know what? Today I will. You will lift me in paradise. What that guy have to offer? What could he bring to the table? He couldn't, you know, go start a church. He couldn't go be a missionary somewhere. He couldn't, like, start giving, you know, a bunch of his money away. He couldn't, uh, you know, go to seminary or whatever. It didn't matter. He just loved him with a passionate, pursuing love. And I think when we lose sight of that, it becomes very difficult to get to this other part, this conquering part. Everybody say conquering. Conquering. So we love to talk about love. Pun not really intended, but it happened. So we like to talk about the love God has for us, but there's another side, like that love should be doing something in our lives and should take us somewhere. So your finger should be on page 801, Romans 8. So we're talking about, right, conquering that's fueled by love, not by force. So we talked about some of God's love. Now let's talk about how this conquering happens from the love. 
Romans 8. And we're going to be in verse... We're going to start in verse 34, actually. Romans 8, verse 34. It says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, right, that's today, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. How amazing is that? So Jesus isn't here. He's at the right hand of God and he's, he already paid the price and conquered sin and conquered death. And what's he doing right now? He's at the Father's right hand interceding for us, praying for us right now. Is that incredible? Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For uh, for your sake we face death all day long. We are consumed as sheep to be slaughtered. Check it out, verse 37, here we go. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Everybody say it with me. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who... What did He do? He loved us. This conquering is taking place through His love. So this word, right? we are more than conquerors. Check it for a minute. This is a promise from the Word. You can't miss this one on Easter Sunday. This is huge. We are more than conquerors. So, like, what's more than a conqueror? I don't know. Let's think of a guy. Let's think of, like, Napoleon. Guy conquered, you know, a ton of stuff. Right? He's famous for conquering. He can go in and take over a territory and do that. He was a brilliant strategist, um, good with weapons, you know, he's uh, able to control and take things, right? He could do that. We are supposedly Christians more than a conqueror, like bigger, badder than the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Roman Empire, guys like Napoleon, guys like Hitler. Bigger, badder, better. Not in a negative sense. So what could be more than a conqueror? More than a conqueror basically means whatever you walk into, it's done and taken care of. Like they lay down for you. If they hike the ball, everybody sits on the field so you just run in the end zone. That's more than a conqueror. So apparently, for the Christian, we are more than conquerors. I wonder how that's going for us. This is Easter. We have to, we're called to live in that truth. What does he mean by conquer? Maybe I'm stretching it a little bit here. I have a slide up here that explains about this word word conqueror. In your Bible, probably has a little footnote there and it references you to several verses. But the gist, right, the gist, we're talking about conquering here, The gist here is that it leads to uh, John 16 about overcoming. You see that slide on there? There we go. John 16, 37. Here's what conquering means. means to overcome. He overcame. Conquering. 1 Corinthians. You can read these during the week if you'd like. I encourage you to do so. 
1 Corinthians 15, victory. 2 Corinthians 2, triumph. 1 John 5, overcome. So you got overcame, victory, triumph, overcome. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about we are more than conquerors. So for the Christian, for the Christ follower, for the Christ believer, these words should somehow be taking place in our lives. And we might be at different places. We definitely are in different places. But they should be getting worked out. And something should be happening there with these words. I don't know how many people or how many Christians can say, overcoming is a part of my life, victory is a part of my life, triumph is a part of my life. Not because I'm super optimistic, but because the power of God is living and working through me. So, I think about Easter Sunday, and we're talking about conquering. So this phrase, this question stuck out to me. He has risen, right? He's risen, he's conquered death, he's conquered the grave. So Jesus has risen, maybe probably for most of us, for some of us, intellectually. The grave is empty, okay. I'll just say he rose from the dead. For argument's sake, let's just say that people agree on that, even though I know probably everybody doesn't. Let's just say Jesus has risen. So I agree to that intellectually. But, I think for some people, they're lacking in experiencing the resurrection personally. So maybe he's risen, the grave is empty. Awesome, awesome. So maybe I can wrap my head about that maybe intellectually. But, it could be very possible that we are lacking the experience of the resurrection in our own lives. Like there's a disconnect there. So that's why it could be very difficult on Easter morning because, hey, it's like any other morning. I don't really know much about the resurrection power in my life and so I don't really feel the need to really sing or clap or like get loud about it. Or again... Some people may be working it out still, still trying to figure it out. I'm asking God to show me, to reveal to me the resurrection power in my life. So, but my immediate follow-up to that is, okay, so if, like some of us are dealing with this issue of I agree to the resurrection personally, but like I'm having a hard time experiencing this. Why is that? Why is there this disconnect between intellectual and having it actually lived out. Why a disconnect? Well, here's a few things that I came up with. And after this, we close. A couple of things I came up with was that we have a very difficult time of experiencing and living this resurrection power personally is because Satan, the enemy, is the master of lies and we get jacked up with these lies. They freeze us up, they paralyze us up, they weigh us down. And when we believe into the lies, it gets us to make bad decisions, and if we do that for long enough, for a long period of time, man, that can really squash some things. So all of a sudden, an empty tomb is like, well, hurrah for Jesus, but life sucks for me right now. That's a real, real place. 
uh, might be real for you right now, here, right now. I get it. Nice thing is that Jesus gets it too. The other side is like, man, let's not stay there. Let's not stay there. What are some of these lies? God just wants to make our lives more difficult. I've got friends saying that all the time. And honestly, I think that a lot of times. How many people know that once you involve God into a situation, I mean involve, like let Him take over, God have full reign. Sometimes it just gets worse. What's the deal with that? Where's the motivation now? Is it that love we were talking about before that's like, doesn't care about self-preservation and comfort? Or is it just, you know, my thing? Right? God wants to make our lives more difficult. Definitely not. Right? God won't shelter us from difficulties because we need them for spiritual growth. Right? Difficulties are working for us and not against us. But the enemy just wants to take that lie and just like crush you down with that. Ah, oh, no, no, no. He wants to make your life more difficult. And if we buy into that long enough, it just like freezes us and paralyzes us and that makes us very active. And really caring about what God has for us. Here's another lie. You're a failure. You got too much baggage. You made too many mistakes. God can't do nothing with you. Maybe you could like read a verse at church or something, but anything impactful like you can't do. Not going to happen. What a lie. What a lie. How can someone ever experience Resurrections Easter Sunday and be living with this line of life? Man, I, just, I got too many mistakes. I got too many failures. Too many things wrong. Don't know my past. You can't use me. What a lie. And Satan's got people with that one. He's got them for years. How about this one? Things will never change. Things will never change. You've tried hard. You put an effort into things. It's been years. Maybe you've even prayed about it for years. And for all intents and purposes, it doesn't seem a lot different. So then the lie is, well, you know what? You tried the God thing. And like it didn't really change. And you know what? Things will never really change. In fact, that prayer came up Wednesday night. We were praying uh, here uh, for the church Wednesday night prayer meetings. I believe it was Roger was praying. and I believe he even prayed that specific prayer. God, help us to see past the lies of the enemy where he says and convinces people that things won't change. And man, that just jumped out to me like... I don't know, the Holy Spirit smacked me in the face. Like, this is important. Like, this is huge here. Don't miss this. Because it has a grip on people. Things won't change. And I can think about Christian brothers and sisters um, that I know um, that, that are just struggling through things, you know? And um, they've involved God to some degree. And things haven't changed. Maybe if they involve God radically things will definitely change. I can't say that they'll like all of the changes initially. But eventually, they will. Eventually, they will. Or this lie. That's just too risky. God's asking too much. It's just too risky. Sundays are my days. That's when I need to relax. I get the lawn done. You know, it's just it's too risky. 
giving a certain amount of my money, like right off the top before taxes, like that's risky. You know, he convinced us with these lies. You know, oh, you need that time to just relax. You can't go invest into somebody else now. No, no, these are lies. So here's the reality that the word says. Here's the reality. Wrote a couple of these down. So if you hear any reality truth this week, you'll hear it now on Sunday. We are free from judgment when we die. So when we stand before, kneel before Jesus, you kneel before the Lamb. It's the only way you can. When we kneel before Him, we are free from judgment for those of us that have put our faith in Christ. And we ask Him to be Lord of our lives. We are free from judgment. So who cares who judges us here on earth? We're free from judgment from the one that matters. Because we have His righteousness and His blood. That's the reality. That's what the Bible says. Reality. We are free from defeat. We are free from being defeated. Essentially being downtrodden and not having a chance. No matter where we've been or what we've chosen or what we have done. We are free from defeat. Because it says when we accept Christ as our Savior, He puts the Holy Spirit, part of God Himself, as a deposit in our hearts, guaranteeing our salvation. If you have part of God living in your heart, you cannot be defeated. Why live like we can and buy into those lies? More than conquerors. Like, we don't just make it. More than conquerors. We are free from discouragement. Because He's coming from us and He's ultimately in control. Free from that discouragement. We don't have to buy into those lies. And we are free from... Raman talked about this a couple weeks ago. Guess Wasn't Raman awesome? Raman was awesome. We are free from fear... Because He intercedes for us in heaven and nothing can separate us from His love. I mean, this is, this is the reality. Free from judgment. We're free from defeat, free from discouragement, free from fear. Now, we definitely are going to need God's help in understanding some of that stuff and working it out for ourselves. Because we've made decisions and we've been places and we have done things that makes it very difficult to believe a lot of that. But if we can keep God at the center and give Him the best that we got, He's going to work that stuff out. He just will. Because that's what He wants to do. That's what He died for us, for our sanctification. To be made into the image of Christ. So let's close up here. Two thoughts. So if we are looking needing or wanting more conquering in our lives, we need more of God's love in our lives. Absolutely. If we are looking, needing, wanting more conquering in our lives, more of those other words we had, were those other words, right? Victorious, right? Overcoming. If we want more of that in our life, we need more of God's love in our lives. That's the only way we handle these huge enemies. It's the only way we can do it. We need that kind of love that Jesus had. 
that doesn't really care, is not focused on self-preservation, comfort, control, recognition. Can you imagine? You get a group of people like that? I don't know how many people have played sports in here. Sports has played a big part in my past, and I think sports has a lot of good relevance. When you're in a team with guys, even if you have a stud on your team, you got the stud on your team, whatever it is, and if that stud could care less about recognition, accolades, how often he gets, it to, how often he gets the ball, how often he does whatever, that is so amazingly freeing for the entire team. He doesn't care. He just wants to see them win and see them succeed and do well. That's amazing how that frees things up. That's the guy you want on your team. It's horrible to have the guy on the team who wants to take all the shots and score all the points and be the superstar. Same thing is definitely true in our marriages. Can you imagine? One party just says, you know what? I took my vows. I took my oaths before God. I don't care where those vows and those oaths take me. I just want to fulfill the role that God has for me as a spouse. Can you imagine? That's just one. Imagine if two did it. What a marriage. You you, you can't... They conquer. They conquer. Because they don't care. They're not focused on it. Since they don't care. They're not supremely focused on getting their needs met. That's an important part of marriage for sure. And you have to communicate that. But the ultimate focus is like, what does God want to do with us? What does God want to do with me? And how is He refining me in this marriage? Am I on board with working that thing out? It's huge. And maybe we've made some mistakes in the past in doing that. And so we come before God. It's not like it's completely unforgivable. We come before God and say, God, I messed up here. I need your forgiveness on this. I repent of that. Trying to walk right in it today. That's what we do. So if we're looking, needing, wanting, more conquering our lives, more rejoicing on Easter Resurrection Sunday, then we need more of God's love in our life. And that's what He wants. He just wants to be with us so He can help pour that love in there because this is a supernatural type of love. 